0: Good morning, happy Father's Day. Let's all turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 18, please. The title of the message this morning is God's Promises and God's People. God's Promises and God's People. Acts chapter 18 contains for us a wonderful account of God's promises to God's people that He might encourage them. So, Let us open our hearts, let us open our eyes, let us open our Bibles, and read together what God has to say to us this morning as a church. Acts 18, verse 1, Paul in Corinth. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews... I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge in these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. Let's pray that we might pay attention Lord, I pray that you would grab our attention right now. Mother, father, sister, brother, young and old, in the name of Jesus, may your spirit come and take hold of our hearts and our minds. Please teach us that we might obey, that you might build your church, that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, church, many of us this last couple of weeks have stayed up very late watching the Miami Heat versus the San Antonio Spurs battle for the NBA championship. And it's a compelling drama indeed that has drawn in South Florida. We are all rooting for the Heat to win. Some of us root a little more actively than others. If you were to come to the Pino household, for us, watching a game is a full contact sport in itself. I typically stand during the whole game, sometimes inches away from the TV. I've been known to run around to jump with the players and certainly do my share of yelling and screaming. It is, it is as if I was on the court, willing each shot to go in and grabbing each rebound. But the reality is, no matter how active I may be in watching the game, I still remain just a spectator and not a participant. I may feel the wins and the losses deeply, and that's a topic for another discussion, and even take them personally, but I don't. I really can't feel them like the players, like LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, or my fellow Gator, Mike Miller. I, after all, am only a spectator, not a participant. Players in the game dedicate all their time and talents to the game. While I may be there with them on game night, cheering them on, depending on how late the game is, I am not with them in the gym every day working out for hours, nor am I with them on the practice floor doing shooting drills, nor am I in the film room preparing for the next game. No, I just show up on game night and watch. See, that's the difference between a spectator and a participant. As a spectator, I invest maybe three hours every other night to watch the game. As a participant, I invest my life to play the game. Here's the connection to the text. The risen Lord Jesus calls us to be participants and not spectators in his mission of making disciples who form churches that declare and demonstrate the glory of Jesus Christ to our communities. Friends, he calls us to give more than just three hours every Sunday to him. He calls us to give our lives to him and his mission. Are you a spectator or are you a participant in God's mission? See, spectators don't own God's mission. It's not really a priority to their lives. Participants own it. They live for it. They dedicate their lives to it. It's the number one thing for them. Spectators are often satisfied with just consuming ministry. Participants consume ministry in order to then produce ministry that furthers the mission spectators believe that they advance the mission while remaining in their seats participants believe they advance the mission by getting out of their seats and into the streets of life with God's word God's spirit so friends what moves us off the couch into the game What moves us from being primarily spectators to participants in God's mission to call a people for his own possession from among our family, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors here in South Florida? How do we move from spectating to participating in Christ's stated mission to build his church? Our text gives us the answer. It's found in God's promises, articulated by the risen Lord Jesus Christ to Paul in 1st century Corinth. And it comes reverberating down through the ages to us in 21st century Corinth. That is South Florida. Here it is. Here's the answer. Here's the main point of this sermon, of this text. God's promises, God's promises move God's people to participate in his mission. God's promises move God's people to participate in his mission. The same risen Lord Jesus who spoke these promises to Paul speaks them to us this morning to move, motivate, propel, and fuel us to participate in his mission. Is your tank low on fuel this morning? Do you find yourself lately doing more spectating than participating in the mission Jesus has given us? Maybe for some of us, it is because we are just overwhelmed with life. For others of us, maybe we have our priorities mixed up. Others still may be engaging in sin that has effectively sidelined them. Oh, friends, whether it's exhaustion, whether it's distraction, whether it's shame or guilt, God is not done with you, with us. He loves you. He loves us. Despite what's going on in our lives, He is speaking to us, to you and me this morning. He's reminding us that He gives us the strength that His mission That Jesus might be the first priority in our lives. That he's washed us. He's washed us clean of our sin. He's washed it away by the gospel of Jesus Christ so that he wants to then fill our tanks up with the fuel to fulfill the mission. He's calling us all to get back in the game. Or perhaps for some, to get in the game for the first time. Friends, he's doing that through the promises that we're going to look at in a moment. The promises of our great God given through Jesus Christ, our risen and reigning Savior, who is actively building his church right now, right here at Palm Vista Community Church. So let's look at these promises. Point one, God's promises. God's promises. See, the risen Lord Jesus spoke promises to the Apostle Paul in Acts 18 Verses 9 and 10. And look at that right now. Open your Bible. Get, put your fingers on Acts 18, 9 and 10. This is what this sermon revolves around. This is what God is saying to you and me this morning. Acts 18, 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many people many in this city who are my people. Isn't it interesting? One notes here that before giving the promises in verse 10, God, the risen Lord Jesus, gives Paul some admonitions in verse 9. What are they? They're for Paul to not be afraid. They're for Paul to keep on speaking. And they're for Paul to not be silent. So we have to ask ourselves a question. What was Paul's circumstance in Corinth that Jesus had to come and first say to Paul before he gives the promises, don't be afraid, don't be silent, keep on speaking. What were his circumstances? And do those circumstances reflect ours today in Miami or South Florida? Is Paul's situation similar to our situation today? Well, let's take a look. Look at verse one. We know from verse one that the Apostle Paul traveled the 50 or so miles from Athens to Corinth, from Athens to Corinth, at the very tip of the Greek peninsula where it says Achaia on the far left, Athens, he traveled the 50 miles to Corinth, due west. We know from history that Corinth was the provincial capital of Achaia. We also know that it was a port city right on the Mediterranean as this picture shows you. And this port city at that time had become a great trade center. Trade was flowing through Corinth. They were getting rich doing trade with the whole Mediterranean world because they were a port city on the Mediterranean. You know, I wonder if Paul was thinking to himself, wow, if trade could radiate from Corinth in all directions, so could the gospel. And in that sense, Miami is... Corinth. It's a great trade city. Do you know that that 40% of the goods that go to Latin America pass through Miami? That's a lot. Miami is a great city that needs a great church to proclaim the gospel to Latin America. We are much like Corinth. We also know from history that Corinth was an extremely immoral city. Aphrodite the goddess of love, had a temple that stood just behind the city on a rocky hill called Acro-Corinth. As you see here in this picture. 1,000 female slaves served Aphrodite and roamed the city streets every night as prostitutes. The sexual promiscuity of Corinth was proverbial. So to Corinthiazomai meant to practice immorality. And to Corinthiastes was a synonym for a harlot. Corinth, friends, was the Vanity Fair of the Roman Empire. What is the Vanity Fair? What is Vanity Fair? It's a place of ostentation, all show, no go, a place of pretension, a place of idle, empty amusement. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, there is a fair that goes on perpetually in the city of Vanity. Vanity Fair, and this fair symbolizes worldly glitz, bling, characterizing a vain and frivolous lifestyle, especially in large cities. Friends, Miami, South Florida is Corinth. We are known for South Beach, the modern-day version of Vanity Fair, a fair that goes on perpetually in the town of Vanity. People come to South Florida not to study, study for their Ph.D. typically, but to party the fair that goes on perpetually in the town of Vanity, South Beach. We are Corinth. We are the Vanity Fair. And we also know from Acts 18, 2 to 8, that Paul, when he arrived to Corinth, immediately began to work. He was a tent maker. He also immediately went into the synagogue and began trying to persuade Jews and Greeks alike that the Christ was Jesus. Jesus. And though many Greeks believed, as we see in verse 8, many, many of the Jews did not. They opposed Paul. In verse 6, we see they reviled Paul. They cursed Paul. It was so bad that he left the synagogue, shook his garments out and says, I fulfilled my requirement now biblically to preach to you. You have rejected and reviled not me, but God, but Jesus Christ. And he went next door to the synagogue into a Greek man's house who became a believer. A guy named Titius Just, T- 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 Justice. And he preached. Man, Paul was under pressure. Paul was in an immoral city. Paul was in a place of great trade, hustle and bustle. Paul, well, let's, let's hear Paul's words. <laughs> How does Paul describe his circumstance when the the risen Lord Jesus came in a night vision and spoke to him? Why did Jesus say, don't be afraid, don't be silent, keep on speaking? Paul himself describes it for us. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, 3 up on the screen. Paul describing what it was like when he first got to Corinth. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. The pillar commentary on this passage says the following, Paul's weakness in 2.3 could be a number of things, such as a general sense of inadequacy for the task of evangelizing the city. His weakness could also be his menial trade, his relative impoverishment, his vulnerability to persecution, or his unimpressive presence. I can relate to that one, especially the unimpressive presence. We can all relate, can't we? I mean, we're Paul. We're not in Corinth in the first century. We're in Miami, South Florida in the 21st century. We we can all be tempted to say little or nothing about Jesus because we look at those around us, we look at our impressive cities, and then we look at ourselves and we are a little intimidated, a little afraid of being ridiculed, ignored, or marginalized if we speak up. And thus, thus it could just be easier for us to just sit on the couch, get out of the game, and remain silent. It is in this context, it is in this frame of mind for Paul, that the risen Lord Jesus comes to him. And he says to him, he gives to him these promises, he gives to him these words of assurance to Paul's fearful heart. And he gives them to our fearful heart, to our discouraged heart, to our intimidated hearts. See, in the midst of this proud, prosperous, immoral, and hard city, the risen Lord Jesus spoke to Paul promises. Promises that gave him confidence to participate in the mission. May the Lord give you confidence right now, friend, to participate in his mission as you hear these same promises from the same risen and reigning Lord Jesus. Promise number one. Jesus assures us of his presence. 1A. Jesus assures us of his presence. The first ground for Paul's confidence in ours is Jesus' assurance that he's with us. Look at verse 10A, please. Verse 10A. For I am with you. Jesus assures Paul with this promise, Paul, I'm with you. This is the same assurance that God gave his prophets down through the centuries, men like Jeremiah whom God called to preach his word into hostile environments. Hostile people. Jesus spoke this assurance to his disciples when he first gave them the mission. Remember, way back in Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus speaks this to his disciples, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus spoke this to his disciples in Acts 1, 8, when he promised them the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, in effect, God with us. He's the one with us right now. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Brothers and sisters, we have Jesus' assurance that he is with us right here, right now. God is with us by the Holy Spirit. But he's also with us at work. Tomorrow, when we decide to speak out in His name in a kind, thoughtful, yet courageous manner. He's with us in our neighborhoods this afternoon or this week when we reach out with gospel kindness. He's with us in the town square, in the town of Miami Lakes, or whatever community you're in, when you volunteer for the common good of that community. Jesus is with us through the Holy Spirit who indwells us to the end of the age. When I read this, I think of my friend Richard Moreland. Jesus was with Richard Morla when it occurred to him to buy a small little replacement palm tree for his neighbor because the neighbor had lost their lovely palm tree that they were so infatuated with. So Richard buys it, leaves it anonymously on his neighbor's doorstep, and then Richard receives the following text from his neighbor Text from the neighbor to Richard What a neighbor you are. My wife says thanks so much for the palm tree, and that goes for me too. Richard's return text, Welcome, how did you know it was me? Neighbor text back, I knew it was you because you are the only person on the block with that big a heart, my friend. Friends, this is what it means to get in the game. It's not that difficult. Now, does it take time? Sure. Did it take Big Richard to go buy a little palm tree? Sure. I don't even know where to buy a palm tree that small, okay? Did it take some money out of his wallet? Sure. Did it take some initiative? Sure. But listen, Jesus is with him. Promise number two. Jesus will protect us, 1B. Jesus assures us. He assured Paul of his protection. He said to Paul in 10B, no one will attack you to harm you. See, no one would attack Paul to harm Paul in Corinth because Jesus would not allow it in this case. But if you've been following Acts, Jesus certainly allowed it in other cases. Jesus allowed Paul to be hit with rocks to where people thought he was dead. People allowed Paul to be beaten with rods even though he was a Roman citizen. But in this case, Jesus said, I'm not going to allow it. In this case, I'm going to protect you. Now this brings us to a very important point. He assures us our protection. In fact, in fact, that, is, that protection we see right in the text. Remember that I read this portion in verse 12. They go before Galileo, the proconsul, the leader of that world. The Jews want Paul to be brought up on, on charges and killed because Paul was introducing a foreign god. And Galileo said, no, he's not. He's not introducing a foreign god. Remember, in the Roman Empire, you could not just pick a god out of your pocket and introduce him. It had to be approved by everybody. And if you did introduce a foreign god without approval, you could be killed. It was a capital punishment. So the Jews were trying to get Paul killed. And and Galileo said, no, 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 this isn't a foreign god. This is your god. Jews, this is your religion, which, by the way, had been approved by the Roman Empire. It was an approved religion. So this is a squabble amongst you guys. I'm not going to get involved in it. Bye. Get out of here. Very important point, by the way, very important point, because this cemented what began in Athens. Remember in Athens, they accused Paul of introducing foreign deities. In Athens, Paul won the right to preach the resurrection and preach Jesus Christ as this unknown God that they were worshiping. So basically, he won the right to preach Jesus. Here, that right is cemented. Galileo says, you know what? This whole thing was Christianity is not a new religion. It is part of the Jewish religion. He's right. (laughs) Old Testament, New Testament, they're together. It's the completion of the Jewish religion. It is Jesus the Messiah. And with that ruling, with that precedent, Christianity was able to be preached everywhere in the Roman Empire, not as a new religion, but as one that had been approved under Judaism. Huge victory. But here's the point, friends. Jesus will protect us. Nothing can happen to us that he does not allow for his glory and our good. And we know from scripture that sometimes he's going to allow us to be beaten, if not physically, then emotionally or mentally. Our reputations may take a beating. But whatever he allows is for his glory and our good. And that's the promise. He will protect us. How do I know that? Because of Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28, a classic text here. In fact, Romans 8 from verse 28 all the way to the end of the chapter is classic. Read it later. But 828... And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. What is God's purpose? His purpose is His glory. His purpose is that you and I, that you and I would reflect the image of Jesus. And because that's His purpose, sometimes He allows difficulty. He allows beatings. He allows sufferings because His greatest good isn't my comfort, but His glory, and that He would make me into the image of Christ. And ultimately, that's my greatest good. And so therefore, god promises to protect us according to his purpose and we could trust him third promise 1c jesus assures us that he has more people in this city jesus assures us that he has more people in this city it's a great promise it's a great promise This is another ground for Paul's confidence and ours. It's this promise that there are many more who will become believers and show themselves, both Jews and Gentiles, to be the people of God. In fact, in verse 11, that promise was so powerful that we find that Paul stays in Corinth another year and six months. The risen Lord, he makes this promise. He declares to Paul that he has many people in the city. This is a theme that has been taken up throughout the book of Acts when when God says, listen, I am choosing a people for my name from the Gentiles. This covenant thing isn't just a Jewish thing. It's now an everyone whom I call in Jesus Christ thing. He's forming a large people in Corinth. You've got a God-fearer named Titius Justice. You've got a synagogue leader named Crispus. You've got entire households that are being baptized. You have pagans. You have Jews. God is saving them. They're all coming together. God is forming His people, His covenant people. And this is a great encouragement because God is forming His people, His covenant people here in South Florida. God's doing it. I love this quote from J.I. Packer in his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Thus, the sovereignty of God in grace gave Paul hope of success as he preached to deaf ears and held up Christ before blind eyes and sought to move stony hearts. J.I. Packer is commenting on Paul's experience in Corinth. His confidence was that where Christ sends the gospel, there Christ has his people fast bound at present in the chains of sin, but due for release at the appointed moment through a mighty renewing of their hearts as the light of the gospel shines into their darkness and the Savior draws them to himself. Friends, this is so encouraging. This this is what gives us hope to go evangelize. Not that we're going to save anybody. Not that we're going to make any disciples. We're not going to convert anybody. No, but Jesus is. And Jesus promises us, I still have my people in South Florida. Vanity Fair still has my people in it, in chains to perpetual amusement and distraction, in chains to all the gods that would be in their hearts and in this city. But do for release in my timing, says Jesus, I am the Lord of all to include salvation. And he calls us to keep preaching, to keep testifying, to keep buying palm trees for our neighbors, and to keep building bridges. He says, speak my name, don't be silent. Isn't that funny? He tells a bunch of normally verbose people like us not to be silent. I mean, Miami, South Florida is not known for silence. But we can all become... Very silent when it comes to the gospel, can't we? This reminds me of David Rios reaching out to his co-worker at Starbucks. Listen to David's testimony in his own words. Quote, speaking of now reaching out to his co-worker in Starbucks on South Beach, by the way. This all begins with prayer, quoting David. This all begins with prayer. We all have worldviews. We all base our decisions, opinions, and actions on. In my job, these judgments or worldviews, our, thought our, th- our thoughts on reality are constantly being shared in phrases such as, he's quoting now another co-worker, it is what it is, David puts Stoicism. Or live life to the fullest, he puts Epicureanism. He was listening to my message last week. <laughs> David goes on, one coworker made a comment about Jesus, which caused another co-worker to say that Jesus is a myth. This fueled discussion that led to a conversation of how science and Jesus go hand in hand. Are you relating to this? Like in the break room, right? Which prompted my other coworker, who was listening to ask a question about the Bible. This is only a question that can come from South Beach. If God made us naked, why do we have to cover up? <laughs> Welcome to Corinth, folks. I then had the opportunity to share the gospel as if it were the only thing in this world worth listening to. And God, notice, God opened his heart to believe. God opened his heart to believe. God opened his heart to believe. After sharing for a time, we prayed together in the back room. I didn't tell him to make a decision to follow Christ or to accept him into his heart. I just told him that if he truly believed all that I had said to then follow Jesus by coming to the Bible study, come to church, let's have fellowship, let's read our Bibles, He said he would, and I know they've continually been meeting. You see, God has his people in a Starbucks, yes, in Vanity Fair, South Beach. That's my confidence. He tells me, open your mouth, Pino. Normally I have to tell you, Pino, to shut it because you get in trouble when you open it. But keep opening it because I've got my people and my people need to hear the gospel, and it needs to be out of your mouth. That's the way I ordained it. That's what he's saying to us. Get in the game, as David did. I love the way John Stott summarizes these promises and their effect on Paul's and our participation in the mission with the following quote. He, Paul... He, Paul, was to continue witnessing, fortified by the presence and the protection of Christ and by the assurance that Christ had in Corinth many people. Friends, these promises, they move us. Oh, may we be moved by these promises and let us be that people, God's people. I want to be that guy. I want to be those people. Who participate, point two, in God's mission? God's people participate in God's mission. This is the result of the promises. they, They propel us, they fuel us, they move us off the couch into the game, they move us from being an observer to a participant. God's people. All participating in the mission from a powerful, they form a powerful strategic partnership through which the risen Lord Jesus builds his church. That's how he's going to build the church, through each one of us, you, me, not just the pastors, not just the community group leaders, you. We each have a role to play in the team, in the mission, every member, a gospel minister. So, so how do we participate? That's a great question. How do we participate? Well, this text gives us some ways we can participate. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's a helpful list. Number one, you know how you would participate? By giving of your money. We read in this text here that Paul was able to devote himself full-time to the ministry of the Word once Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the Word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Before then, he was occupied with tent-making and did the Word on the Sabbath. Here, he's occupied full time with the word because Silas and Timothy brought Paul money. Well, how do you know that, Al? Well, because I believe what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 11.9. Look at 2 Corinthians 11.9 on the screen. Paul writing about his experience in Corinth. He says this, when I was with you, speaking to the Corinthians, and was in need, I did not burden anyone. He He was a tent maker. For the brothers who came from Macedonia, Silas and Timothy, supplied my need, so I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Church, thank you. Thank you for providing for our needs so that we can get away next week for a week and pray and devote ourselves to the word. Thank you. Many of you are participants in this area of giving. Thank you. And some of you, who have been observers only in giving, can I just encourage you? Trust God. He's going to take care of you. Get in the game. Let his promises move you from observer when it comes to giving to participants. How else can you participate in the mission? Well, like Aquila and Priscilla, you can make disciples of one another. Now, if you look at verse 2 and 3, we read that Priscilla and Aquila were fellow Jews. They were also tent makers. They had been living in Rome, and they were expelled from Rome by Claudius, and they were now living in Corinth, and that's where Paul met them. We also read in verse 18 that they were key participants in the mission. They became Paul's traveling partners. Look at verse 18. And after this, Paul stayed many days longer in Corinth and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him, Priscilla and Aquila. They end up landing in Ephesus, and they stay in Ephesus, and in Ephesus, Priscilla and Aquila meet a disciple by the name of Apollos. Look at verse 26. Jump down to verse 26 speaking of Apollos, and he, Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They they heard Apollos, they realized he was anointed, he was a Christian, but that he didn't quite know the way of God accurately, so they took him aside privately, and they taught him him. They became key participants in the mission by getting off the couch as observers. Wow, Apollos is gifted. Wow, Apollos could really preach. Wow, that boy can preach. I love his illustrations. I love the way he brings home a point. And he does know Jesus. I mean, you you could build around this guy. But you know what? He's missing some things. No time to go into what he's missing. Talk to me privately about that later. So we're going to take him aside privately and instruct him. We're going to get off the couch as observers and listeners only and get into the game as participants. We're going to spend our time helping this powerfully gifted man learn the way of the Lord in a more accurate fashion and look at the fruit of what their labors did. Jump down to the very last two verses of the text. 27. 27. Acts eighteen twenty-seven. And when he, Apollos, wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, so he's crossing over from Asia, Ephesus, over to Achaia, Corinth, in Greece. So when he arrived, he greatly helped. You see that at the end of verse 21, 27. He greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. This is exactly what was said of Paul in Corinth earlier. Paul showed that the Christ was Jesus. Now, Apollos, years later, because he'd been discipled by many, to include Aquila and Priscilla, regular church members, God then used him powerfully, because he did have a gift, to publicly refute the Jews and to say that the Christ was Jesus. Oh, we need Priscilla and Aquila's in the church today. You, who invest in discipling one another, there are many of you who do this. I think of Zeke with the worship team. I think of how they're having Bible studies together. I know he's working with these young men. My son would be one of them. I know Alex is involved. There's much of it going on, but one that I know personally and up front and close is Sergio Mora with his co worker, Mark Chang. For months now, Sergio, maybe years, Sergio has been sharing with Mark at work. They were co workers. God then wonderfully saved Mark. I think Sergio was a key part of that. God, he just opened his mouth. God did the saving. Sergio was doing a lot of the talking, as were other people. And then Mark became a member, was baptized at our church, Sovereign Grace Church Miami, because he lives down in that area in Westchester. And Mark and Sergio keep talking. Mark is like an Apollos in a way. He's a, if you met Mark, he's a, he's, a, he's a wheeler dealer. It's what he did before he got saved, which was not too long ago. And, uh, and he just got that way to just kind of hustle people. And now it's for a good purpose. But sometimes he needs to be taught the way of the Lord more accurately. And they're still talking. So Sergio will take time. He said, come on over to my house Friday night. I'm tired. I'm dog tired. I've seen Sergio on Friday nights after a week. He's tired, okay? He said, come on over to the house. Let's talk. Let me show you the way of the Lord more accurately. And recently, Mark gave him a beautiful card. You are, quoting, you are a true man of God. Thank you for never giving up on me. And showing me the way to Christ. You have truly given me guidance that I never had. I will always look at you as the teacher I never had. We all need teachers, young and old. Will you be an Aquila, a Priscilla, a Sergio? Will you take the. It's gonna cost you some time. You gotta get off the couch, put the bag of potato chips away. Get in the gym. It's not going to be easy. It's going to frustrate you at times because you're going to be dealing with knuckleheads like me. But oh, the fruit. Oh, the legacy. And oh, the mission being accomplished. God... God is calling us to get into the game. That's how the mission was advanced by Aquila's and Priscilla's getting in the game. Friends, God's calling us to participate in the mission by proclaiming Jesus accurately to both believers and unbelievers. Here's the appeal, friends. This is God's burden for you this morning. It is that the precious promises of God, the promises of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, move us to be participants. Listen, the promise that we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone through the grace of God alone moves us. The promise that Jesus is with us The promise that Jesus protects us and the promise that Jesus has more people in this city that encourages us to get back into the game or for some of you to join the game for the very first time to proclaim Jesus. Oh, Lord, we ask you for that. We ask you for that. It's so easy to sit on the couch and eat the potato chips. It's so easy to watch LeBron shoot the jump shot if I'm on his team and just passively watch. But God's saying, no, there are some spiritual LeBrons. There are some Apollos that I'm using in particular. Maybe I'm one of those on Sunday mornings. And please don't be impressed. There's nothing impressive here. God's the one that's impressive. But God has a jump shot for you to shoot. And if you don't shoot it, we lose. LeBron alone cannot beat the Spurs. Every one of us has a job, has a role, has a ministry. God's put it on your heart. And Jesus wants us to move from being spectators to participants, to do the small things like like Richard Morla did for his neighbor or David Rios and Sergio Mora did in reaching out to their coworkers or or Marcos Gonzalez does when he invites his neighbor over for a barbecue after spending all day helping the neighbor move in and the neighbor's still there late into the night when I come over to watch the heat game. Or Sean Worley inviting his coworker to church. happens so many times, so many co-workers. And just sharing his priority in life. Or Jessica Firmessa, a nurse in our midst, whose own mother has been wrestling through health issues, just ongoingly inviting her fellow nurses to the church. And they come in in streams. I love it. Or John Neal's heart for prison ministry, fueled by the fact that one of his childhood friends went to prison and John never visited him in prison. And when the friend got out, the friend said, prison ministry changed my life in there. Why didn't you visit me, John? And John, under conviction today, wants to get involved. It's that simple. God's leading isn't some mystical voice that comes out of the heavens. It's real-life situations like I just described to you. I could go on literally for hours the numerous examples of folks at Palm Vista who fueled by Jesus' promises, fulfilled Jesus' mission to make disciples by proclaiming his truth to others through normal everyday relationships and situations. Friends, the risen Lord, he's calling us. He's calling us all to be participants. What does that mean for you? What does it mean for you? Be specific. Ask God right now. For some of you, it means getting back into the game. We've all allowed unbelief to tempt us to stop speaking. I include myself there. I'm the first one in line. Shame on me. I'm the pastor. I should be modeling this. Trying to get back in the game. I was in the middle of preparing my sermon yesterday. I've been, been trying to get back involved with Miami, the town of Miami Lakes. I mean, one of our members is the vice mayor. Duh. There's a word from God. God. Captain Obvious, and so I'm like, I, I'm not done with this sermon, but I know at 1.30, there's a town hall meeting, because we're up for like small town in America, and it's in Denver, and there's going to do a simulcast at 1.30, right here at the new town hall, and I'm saying, Pino, uh, read your sermon, <laughs> stop, go, so I text Caesar, Caesar, are you going to be there? Yeah, I've got to drop off Brianna to a birthday party, but I'll be there a little bit late. Great, text me, you're going to be there. Caesar, text me. I get out of my chair, get in my car, drive over there, just hanging out. Guys, some of you have the gift of hanging out. <laughs> That's participating in the mission if you hang out with a purpose. Met, met one lady and she's someone is involved in the town. Her son's going to FSU. I texted Kaylin, Hey, what dorm were you in at FSU? Apparently he doesn't have my number in his phone. Who's this? <laughs> so he told me which dorm. And, you know, I'm trying to enter. So I'm just, I'm just making conversation. I'm just doing the normal things of life, guys. But I got to get in the game. I had to get out of my, off my, off of my chair, out of my office, into my car. Boy, it was hot yesterday, wasn't it? And drive over to the town hall. It's that simple. Will you do that? Will you hear the Lord speak His promises to you? To your afraid, discouraged, angry, maybe some of you angry hearts. He's saying to all of us, go on speaking, Al. Don't be silent, Al. I am with you, Al. No one will attack you to harm you, Al. I've got many in my city in Vanity Fair, Al, that I'm still calling. And for those of you who have never really been in the game, you've always just come to Palm Vista, or any church. You've enjoyed a great sermon, some nice ministry here and there. You're Christians, or you may just come to everything, but you've never sought to tell others. Oh, friend, please hear the risen Lord Jesus speak his promises that awaken your heart to the fact that he is calling you to do more than spectate, he's calling you to participate. Listen, there's one joy in me watching those guys nail a three-pointer. I wasn't very good in basketball, and I never made a three-pointer. But I did make a few baskets. It's another level when you're the guy making it. And you hear the crowd, and you look at your teammates, and after the game, they say, good job. And and one day after the game, we're going to be in heaven, and I believe we're going to know each other. We're going to know that we labored together at Palm Vista. We're going to be in a circle, and we're going to be saying something that really matters, unlike these games, although I enjoy them, Eternally, they don't matter a whole lot. And we're going to say, good shot, Pino. Good shot, Mora. Hey, Morla, way to set that pick. Hey, Bush, way to rebound. Hey, Lee, way to hang in there when you were injured. Hey, Brito, way to be encouraging. Help us in that difficult time. You hit that free throw right at the right time. We'll hear our Savior saying that. And what's amazing is we don't deserve it because we wouldn't even have been in the game unless he had drafted us and put us in the game and then gifted us to play in the game. But we've got to get in the game. I pray that you get this vision. I get this vision. I pray that it leads to a new season in your life as individuals, as families, to see that we must believe Jesus' promises and we must make his mission our In a moment, I'm going to pray. Worship team's going to come up. I want you to consider something. When we stand for worship, I want you to consider coming forward. Something different this morning. I am going to have the community group leaders standing here, Corey and Cindy, Bentley. I want you to come up for this reason. You may need us to agree with you in prayer, or they may need you to grab their neck and pray for them, because we're in it together. You know when they get in these huddles there in the basketball right before the game, and they're jumping up and down, and they're saying one, two, three, heat. My favorite is one, one, two, three, heatles. Well, we're not saying one, two, three, heat or heatles. We're saying. Lord Jesus, help us all. So you you consider coming forward while we're singing. God wants every member to be a gospel minister, not just the community group leaders, not just the worship leaders, certainly not just the pastors. Jesus doesn't want us standing around watching the spiritual LeBrons shoot jumpers. He has given us all jumpers, and he wants us to shoot them so that we might win, play our role, We must get in the game by faith. Let's pray. Worship team, please come up. Lord God, I pray that you would give us all faith this morning. Lord, I pray that we would hear the gospel call, the clarion gospel call that Jesus says, Father, forgive them. That Jesus says, because of what I have done on the cross, you who believe, you who bow your knee, you who repent, your sins are forgiven. The Father has adopted you as a son or a daughter. And that that gospel promise to those who have faith, repentance in you, Jesus, would fuel us to fulfill the mission. It would move us from being spectators to being participants, oh God. I pray this with all my heart. In Jesus' name, amen.